turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Game time on the big stage Sunday night football. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jansen and Lou Coldplays. Your go-to show for all things Broncos. That's right. What's good, Broncos country? If you're listening to Huddle Up, it's time to drop some knowledge. I'm Chad Jensen, the publisher of MileHighHuddle.com, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. And today we are joined by Mile High Huddle's very own draft nicks, Eric Trickle and Nick Kendall. Fellas, the draft might be in the books, but are you ready to break this thing down and analyze how Denver's Hall shaped up? Oh, man, I thought we were going over my 2018 mock draft. I guess we can go over this one, but that's okay. Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about it. Got a lot of good picks. <laughs> I'm definitely very excited about it. I was on the Mile High Huddle Twitter account during the draft, and it's going to be nice to be able to talk about it with that character limit. <laughs> right. Really be able to put some context to some of your thoughts. And that's the trouble with Twitter, and, and uh, is it kind of it's a little too truncated. But today what we're going to do for our listeners, we're going to break down each pick but first, please understand, you got to know, we're not here to just report the news. You can get that anywhere. We're here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos. And as a listener, we appreciate you tuning in. But what you can do to really help us out is retweet the episodes on Twitter, share them on Facebook. Also, very important to the show that you rate and comment on iTunes. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUp underscore MHH. Just take a second and get that done because we have thousands of listeners to each episode, but we're not even quite to 300 followers on Twitter. So help us solve that paradox, okay? Now, this is a milehighhuddle.com podcast, but there might be a fraction of you listening via iTunes or it might be Stitcher who aren't aware necessarily, of what we're doing over at Mile High Huddle. We are part of the Scout.com and CBS Sports digital network. We have killer premium Broncos content, and it's more kind of deep dive stuff for you Broncoholics out there. Our premium members get 10% off on tickets through Ticketmonster and 10% off on Broncos team merchandise through Fanatics. Make sure you're also subscribing on iTunes, duh. The show can also be found on Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, iHeart, and CastBox. It's pretty much everywhere. You can listen to it however you want. Just make sure you're rating. Um, and as we, you know, the, the draft might be in the books, but as we get through this thing, there's going to be so much to talk about and break down leading into the summer practices and then all the way up to training camp, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. All right, now, guys, after months of anticipation, you guys scouting, breaking down these prospects, all of us trying to evaluate Denver's roster needs, the draft finally arrived, and for guys like us, but especially you nerds, Eric, Nick, it was like Christmas come early. The Broncos took the guy we all knew they would ultimately in the first round, but from there, it got really interesting, and, and I'm excited to kind of break it all down. But we heard rumors, guys, on, on uh, day one that the Broncos were looking to, to move up. Eric, you can maybe expound on this a little bit more, but... From everything we were hearing, they were they were zeroed in on Garrett Bowles, and when even though there were some blue chip guys that fell to him, uh, including Reuben Foster, the linebacker from Alabama, Eric, I'll, I'll serve it up to you first. The Broncos ended up standing pat. You and I talked about this very briefly on a kind of a gut reaction episode, but they stood pat. They ended up taking the guy we all expected him to. Broncos country kind of lost their you know what for a minute, but at the end of the day, when they see this guy on the field. I think they're going to feel a lot better about the pick. Yeah, one thing's for sure is the Broncos love him. Um, I'm not going to lie. They did try to move up for Christian McCaffrey. They tried jumping up to six or six and seven. Price was just too much. They were wanting multiple early picks over the next three years, and they were going to do that. And as they were trying to jump up for there, they did contact the Browns for Joe Thomas, but the Browns shut that down. It's been pretty well known that the Browns aren't looking to move Joe Thomas anymore, so that they just called – courtesy little call see if they they could do something and they couldn't so they stood put stood pat and took Garrett Bowles they've been this has been their guy since before the combine they loved him before they met with him at the combine and they lost started and they fell in love with him even more he was their top target he was a top 10 player in the uh in the draft for them 
They love his mean streak, his na- his nasty that he brings to the field. They love his upside. They think that he has the highest upside, highest upside of everybody of all the offensive tackles in the uh, class. And they have the trust in Jeff Davidson to pull it out of him. Definitely some issues with him. Uh, he's good. He's going to be coming and immediately help on the run blocking, but there is some work that needs to be done with his pass blocking. But simple thing is, is they got a guy, they had a top 10 grade on him. They got him at 20 and they love the pick and they're, they're just, they just couldn't be more ecstatic about it. Nick, how concerned, first of all, we want to hear your thoughts on the pick, but also somewhere in there, answer the question whether or not, or I should say how concerned you might be in particular about Garrett Bowles and pass protection as a rookie. Well, I thought it was a solid pick. Uh, reiterating what Eric said, the Broncos had a high grade on him, and it was pretty well known that he was the target. You know, They were even talking with the, uh, the Titans about moving up to 18 to uh, just ensure that they could get him because there was talks about Tampa moving back. They thought maybe the, uh, the Giants would move in front of him, maybe the Seahawks to get Bulls, and they wanted to get him. Luckily, uh, he fell right to him. I was actually hoping, you know, deep down, I've been a big O.J. Howard fan, and he was there at 19. I was just thinking about him in orange and blue, but I'm personally excited to get Bulls. Um, I've, I'm an offensive line, defensive line guy myself, so sort of find the trenches and getting a rookie, you know, they, they have that slotted uh, guaranteed uh, contract for the next four years, fit five years if they get that option. So now the Broncos, just salary cap-wise, you're getting that starting tackle on that rookie-controlled salary, which is big for the uh, salary cap and going forward. Um, yeah. Sorry, go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I don't know if you guys caught this on Twitter, but Doc Bear, uh, featured columnist for Mile High Huddle, of course, an old OG from, um, well, the founder of It's All Over Fat Man, which is no longer... Uh, an active publication, but Doc Bear himself, he he threw a question at us and brought this up on Twitter. I thought we'd just get this out there. He said basically that, you know, he's heard that that Ty Sambrilo, that the staff is overall impressed with the, the, the progress he's made so far into this early offseason and now getting into OTAs and all that. But it doesn't really line up. It doesn't really match up what he's heard that the coach was being impressed with Sambrilo with John Elway's desire and how hard he pursued uh, Garrett Bowles. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Just adding more elite talent and upside to the offensive line is important. Um, even if Sam Brillo, uh, Sam, Br- Sam Brillo, Sam Brillo, am I saying that right? That a boy, <laughs> Sam Brillo. And Sam also, Brilo. also yes. just a pet peeve. I'm, I'm clenching my, my teeth every time I hear you say it. Paradis. Paradis. You, you, like, pa- you like saying Paradis. Is it, it's not Paradise. Paradise! <laughs> no, that's what his Twitter is, uh, two dice. But anyway, uh, Sam Brilo. Uh, Sam Brilo, you know, he may have bulked up, everything like that, which is good. You know, we want to get some value out of that second-round pick still. Right. But you can't go – you can't leave yourself that vulnerable at tackle going forward. So even if he has bulked up, maybe he can complete, compete for right tackle, left tackle, just value. But you got to get that player there, left tackle, and some more uh, elite upside. One thing I wanted to touch on with Garrett Bowles is that with Mike McCoy coming in, do you guys remember uh, Peyton Manning and Demarius Thomas and even Eric Decker going nuts on screenplays when we had Mike McCoy as the offensive coordinator? Oh, yeah. Garrett Bowles was going to be an awesome offensive tackle for that screen game because he was the most elite. He was the most athletic offensive tackle in this class by a fairly large mar- margin. So now you're going to get him outside the hash marks, uh, taking on sit- the secondary, blocking open downfield for yep. running backs and wide receivers. It's going to be awesome. Yep. And Eric, it is, I mean, it's not like the Broncos are quote-unquote giving up on Tyson Brylow, right? But, I mean, in today's day and age, and Elway talks about this, you got to have two tackles, but really you got to have three. I mean, you got to have three guys you can count on. you got to have that swing guy who, when called upon, can step in and not miss a beat. Yeah, definitely. And that guy is Donald Stevenson. Everything I've heard is that they are happy with the direction that Tyson Brylow is going, but they're just at that point of it's past that time for him, um, for these guys, especially for those who are around when he was drafted. And there's not many of them anymore. It's definitely his last shot. I've heard a lot of things that they've been trying. They've tried to move him a couple times, no takers. They're going to see what he gives them in training camp and hope that it's enough that to salvage that second round pick they sent on him. But from what I've gathered, the hopes aren't high there. Well, speaking of second-round picks as we mow through this thing, the Broncos, I think, of, of, of every pick, I mean, they had eight selections once again, 
2017, just like they ended up in 2016. But of all their eight selections, the one I think that it's safe to say surprised all of us the most was their their 50 the pick uh, 52 overall. They ended up taking defensive end out of Florida State, Demarcus Walker. Now you look at this guy. On paper, you watch his highlights, you see him getting the sacks, you see him causing disruption um, on, on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And there's a lot of things about this guy that are interesting that he could bring value. But I know, Eric, in your part, and I'm sure, Nick, you can expound on this as we go around the table here, but I know on your part, Eric, you really question Demarcus Walker's fit in this scheme, being that he's about 6'2", <clears throat> somewhere around 280, something like that. The issue is that he's not a full-time starter in this scheme. And when I was on Twitter and everything after the pick was made, I wasn't very clear on that. He has a position in this scheme, and it's as a sub-package uh, pass rusher. And that's when they go to two down linemen. Both of them are lining up as a three-tags. That's where um, everybody I've talked to had Walker projected as a pass-rushing three-tag in a 4-3. He doesn't like the he likes the strength to really stand up and hold the edge as a five tech against the run. He likes um athleticism. He has some, but not not what you really want. I see a lot of people comparing him to Malik Jackson, yeah. who was able to who who had a similar play style. A lot of people thought that he was just gonna be a sub three um three tech pass rusher. And he was able to um add some strength and some technique and be able to be good a pretty good uh, run defender. But what happened with Jackson was that he was able to use his athleticism that was pretty close to being off the charts to help him. And Walker doesn't have that. I just see him as a two down or as a uh, situational pass rusher in sub packages. And that's just not something you'd take in the second round. Nick, your thoughts on the pick and the player. Well, um, after this pick was made, there, a lot of us were talking. We were uh, confused about it, as you uh, mentioned. And honestly, this is probably um, my least favorite pick of the entire draft for the Broncos. Uh, Demarcus Walker, I could see him playing better in a 4-3, you know, being that heavy defensive lineman on the left end and then kicking the three-tech on pass downs. But in Denver's scheme, I mean, he's going to be a B-gap interior pass rusher. And while that does have value, uh, I don't see second-round value in that. And I don't see much upside to be more than that. Can he be a good B-gap, interior, you know, situational rusher. Yes, he can, but I don't agree with putting a second round on it. I went back and watched three of his games, and I, I do love his uh, aggressive hands. He has a really good rip move and swim move. And when he is, uh, when he does fire off correctly in one versus one situations over a guard, he's very good. He can get to the quarterback, but he's just very inconsistent at his get-off. I mean, he's often one of the last guys to react when the ball is snapped. Mm. And I don't see him, I see him get, washed out by the tackle often in uh, run defense. He's really bad at anchoring. So when you're projecting him moving inside where he's going to have to anchor more against some bigger guys, I just, I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of concerned with the pick. Well, and fans fans point to, well, look, he had 16 sacks last year. And I know, Eric, you pointed this out uh, in your uh, brief, you know, it was just a single paragraph of analysis on the actual news report we put out at Mile High Huddle on the pick. But of the 16 sacks, that he had last year, you say 12 of them were coverage sacks. Uh, I was actually incorrect. I didn't have my notes in front of me on him. It wasn't 12 of them. It was 11 of them. So just want to throw that correction out there. There was 11 of his sacks that came that were on average five or more seconds, or on average was 5.2 seconds after the snap or something like that, just over five seconds, and those are coverage snaps. Now, with Denver, there's no question they have, if not the best, one of the best seconds in the NFL. So being able to get those coverage sacks will cut, will definitely help. But the question then becomes is he's going to be competing with Von Miller and Shane Ray and Derek Wolf is, well, those sacks show. But also when you're looking at pass rushing, it's not all about the sacks. And there's some people who don't always seem to get that. Right. And uh, when he wasn't getting sacks at FSU, he wasn't always applying pressure either. And it's just a, it's a pretty big gap for him really overall of between getting this um, sacks to pressure there was no consistent pressure whatsoever it's one of those things where we don't want to betray too much but without going into too much detail on some things we've heard it just felt like the broncos weren't really sure uh, and there's even like a freudian slip if you ask me on john elway's part 
Um, there was a, a brief like pull to the side on draft day. You know, Broncos TV pulled him over, got a couple of quick lines about their day two uh, draft haul. He couldn't even remember off the top of his head the name of his second round pick. Now, granted, this guy's been freaking burning the midnight oil for however many days leading up to the draft and then including both draft days up to that point. But to me, some of the things we've heard reading between the lines, it was a little bit of a Freudian slip. I'm not sure how stoked the Broncos really are on this guy, but trying to see through uh, to the positives, you know, I think you put him into a, a group coached by a guy like Bill Kalar. There is, I think, guys, some hope for optimism, at least with Demarcus Walker. Well, Elway hasn't really been hitting on those second round picks recently anyway. So if he does, if he does offer anything, it's going to be a big success for the Broncos. But we really lacked interior uh, pass rushers last year. We saw with Malik McDowell and when uh, Wolf was injured. So if he can, you know, pr- provide some interior pressure and not allow the quarterback to step up, he's going to have some value on the defense. Um, definitely. Uh, and adding him with, as you mentioned, um, Bill, the Bill, the bear wrestler, um, <laughs> it's definitely going to, should help him out more. And he's going to be working hard on him with getting some run defense technique in there. So that way, if they do get caught with him on the field, yep. they're not completely, completely in trouble. Right. Anyways, but, um, Denver was trying hard to trade up. They saw they had their eyes on a running back and a tight end. They were trying to trade up to get one of the two of them. Let's just point out real quick, Joe Mixon and Adam Shaheen. Go on. Yes. Um, They were trying to trade up for them. I weren't able to. So trying to trade up and for trying to trade up for 10 10 to 13 picks in front of them for one of these two players. And then finally they're on the clock. There can be some rushes to try and make the pick, figure out who's left and everything, and right. and mistakes can be made. Sure. Well, you don't like to hear anything like that on draft day, but uh, hey, let's move on and talk about a guy I know everyone is excited about at Mile High Huddle, and especially the two of you. The Broncos with the 82nd pick took Carlos Henderson, wide receiver out of Louisiana Tech. Now, Nick, I'm going to serve this up to you first because I know you had a chance when you went out to cover the Combine um, to talk to Carlos Henderson and kind of get an up-close personal uh, point of view and engagement with this kid. But, you know, he's 5'11", somewhere around 200 pounds, somewhere in there, uh, right close anyway. And talk about how this guy can affect the offense. We want to hear your thoughts on the pick, of course, and the value at, at pick 82, but your thoughts on the Henderson pick kind of juxtaposed with your experience talking to him at the Combine. Well, talking with him at the Combine, he you know smiled and kind of scoffed when I asked him about the possibility about uh, playing between Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. And you know he said he met with the Broncos and he'd be happy to play with any team, but that'd be an awesome opportunity, and he gets to live it. So I'm excited for him, and I'm excited for the team because – he is a lot of fun to watch. Cool. So, you know, you have that. Uh, some people use that against him. But you watch his film, and he's just so dynamic uh, with the ball in his hands. He's a good returner. He lines up a fair amount at running back still. So they got him in, like, in the, the swing pass game, and you can get him out on screens, again, going back to the McCoy offense. And it really just adds a dynamic, some of that juice, as uh, right. Broncos fans have been talking about, to the offense, which they really need. And to the special teams, because he is just – he's been a great returner for the – was it the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs? Yep. And just going to be a lot of fun for the offense. Probably my favorite pick of the draft. Eric, I know you were super high on this dude. Talk about your immediate gut reaction to the Broncos. Being able to take him, he can, fell to him at pick 82. Yeah, and uh, he actually was my 37th ranked overall player. And I only mention that because Denver's first round pick was my 38th overall player. But um, one thing that will that the listeners will hear a lot in this is explosive. Carlos Henderson is explosive. He's an explosive playmaker on offense. He's an explosive playmaker on special teams. You can line him up at running back. You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up out wide. And his route tree, a lot of people question his route tree, but I was able to get a hold of somebody at Louisiana Tech, and his route tree is a lot more developed um, than people think. But with how they use him on offense, he wasn't able to showcase that. There's still some work um, that needs to be done, and Coach Tolbert will definitely need to um, work with him on his getting it down. But adding him to Sanders and Thomas is just – it's one dynamic three-deep three receiver set uh, group. Uh, Nick mentioned that he uh, still lines up at running back, and up until he got to Louisiana Tech, he played 
running back. And he mentioned he always talks about how that's why he brings some physicality and that elusiveness to the receiver position. And it definitely shows he led the college football in most missed tackles by uh, forced mm-hmm. missed tackles by a receiver. That's a great stat. I mean, watching that team last year, the Broncos offense, I mean, they didn't do a lot of that. You didn't see, especially after C.J. Anderson went down, you didn't see that any of the skill position guys really breaking tackles on a consistent basis and picking up those tough yards after the catch. And I only, I mean, I shudder to imagine what a guy like him could do with a a guy who can distribute the ball like Peyton Manning. Well, he's gone. Peyton's, you know, he, he rode off into the sunset And I think for me, the biggest question with a weapon like Carlos Henderson is, are the Broncos going to have enough clarity and wherewithal at quarterback to feed this guy? Because I think that uh, Mike McCoy, I think he'll be able to cook up some good schemes and and try to take advantage of him and free him up in that way and target him. My only concern is whether or not these two quarterbacks are going to be able to actually be up to the task. Yeah, that's true, but you could say that for Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders as well. So we're just going to have to see how the the offense unfolds itself. I'm not really sure what to expect from McCoy because he does like to bend his offense around what his players do best. But you're going to get Henderson on the inside and some screens. And some, another thing I want to talk about him is he is a freaking tenacious blocker. He literally decapitates safeties and linebackers. I tweeted out about I think it was in January, a couple of highlights of him from the Huddle Up uh, Twitter account, and somebody dug up and found those and retweeted them nice. because I found some that was just like, this guy is killing people in the run game because he's blocking them. So a lot of fun, and I'm not too worried about you know the number of touches or whatever. He's a third-round pick, and he's going to add just explosion and bigger uh, 20-plus yard plays to the offense, and that's something Denver really needs to help flip field position and help that defense. I think after last year, um, they kind of learned Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, they got a little unhappy with their touches, especially early on in the season. And then it grew even more. They were able to set it off to the side because they were winning, but then they started losing and it it grew a little bit more and it it became very more obvious. And uh, with Mike McCoy, it's going to be a little bit more of a passing offense than a running offense. And all three of these guys, they're going to get their fair share of um, catches. They're going to make get their fair share of chances to do something with the ball and it's just going to be I think it's going to be beautiful to watch these three work a defense together because three wide receiver sets are coming back to Denver almost (laughs) every single play it's certainly exciting as you as you guys say an explosive player to be there at pick 82 the Broncos really scored now still in the third round the Broncos were sitting on their compensatory pick which was 101, 101st overall. And I didn't know, I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about this kid until I talked with you guys and then did a little bit of my own research. But the Broncos ended up taking cornerback Brendan Langley out of Lamar. Now this kid, he's six feet tall, 200 pounds. He's, he's got length. He's got athleticism. He's a former Georgia Bulldog who ended up transferring to Lamar uh, for various reasons, a lot of which I've heard was lack of playing time and depth chart issues, and I don't know the whole story there, but you look at this guy, and, I mean, on the surface, he seems like the type of player who really fits what the Broncos are trying to do with physical play um, on the boundary, guy who can you know, not only jam receivers at the line of scrimmage but make a play on the ball down the field. I'll start with you, Eric. Talk about your immediate reaction to the Brandon Langley pick and just overall how he fits in this year. Well, I hadn't watched him until about two weeks prior to the draft. Three weeks ago, I was in there looking over some corners, trying to figure out, try to find some to watch. I texted one of my scout sources about it, and he said, there's this kid out of Lamar. He said he's rising up draft boards really quick. I won't be surprised if he's gone early third. So I'm like, okay, I'll look into him. Took me a lot of digging. I had to watch some actual live games on YouTube um, and just try to find him. It wasn't just a cut up, cut up of him. And he's athletic. He's physical. He's he's mean. He brings that mean attitude. His attitude on the field is very, very similar to the attitude that Harris and Talib and Roby all bring. And then he's an immediate contributor on special teams. And that's one thing that Denver really focused on this year was we all saw last year their issues returning the ball, 
um, especially holding on to the ball. Carlos Henderson has brings return value and um, Langley brings return value as well um, for punts. And that's one thing they focus on. They lost their gunner in Kayvon Webster. Well, Langley's a gunner as well. He has such tremendous upside, has good, has good size, um, really good fundamentals that just need refined. And it's going to be exciting to watch him grow and learn from the likes of Talib and Harris and Roby and Joe Woods and Vance Joseph. Don't forget those two are defensive back coaches as well, who just happen to be the head coach and defensive coordinator. Like they got the guys to get this guy coached up and it has me excited. Now, guys, I thought it was interesting, and Nick, I don't know if you caught this because I want to hear your take on on Langley, but I thought it was interesting that when he was introduced at Dove Valley by his position coach, Denver's new secondary coach or or defensive backs coach, Marcus Robertson, (laughs) unfortunately got his name wrong, called him Brandon Langley, and then caught caught himself and corrected himself. But this kid ran a 4-4-3 at the Combine. Nick, talk about what your thoughts and immediate uh, reaction is on Langley. Well, Langley comes in as the immediate replacement for Kayvon Webster, at least uh, special teams-wise. Kayvon left the Broncos, good player for us the past few years. You know, didn't see the field so much on defense, but just an awesome special teams player for us. And wishing the best, uh, joining Wade uh, Wade Davis, uh, Wade Wade Phillips over there. Excuse me, not Wade Davis. That's all good. Uh, (laughs) And going to come in immediately. Probably, uh, I would expect him to win the position and you know on there on kickoffs as well and he can return but the one game I watched of him you could tell he was a long athlete he does a good job jolting guys at the line of scrimmage so he's going to be a good press man corner if everything works out well for him but he's very raw I don't see he doesn't really look like he knows what he's doing exactly with his footwork right now Um, but it's a perfect situation for a high upside athlete with size be playing behind Roby he's going to be playing behind Tlaib he's going to be playing behind Harris so I think probably a year or two from now, he will be more likely competing for uh, defensive snaps, at least a good chunk of them. But out of the gate, he's going to provide immediate value as a special teams contributor. Absolutely. And we got uh, to talk about one of the biggest value picks in this year's draft, the Broncos' fifth-round pick after they made some trades. We don't need to go too much into that. But before we talk about this guy, real quick, want to talk about a study that was done by the Interactive Advertising Bureau and Edison Research, which showed that consumers are highly likely to purchase from podcast sponsors. According to a survey of a 1,000 podcast listeners, nearly two-thirds of them, 65%, were more willing to consider purchasing products and services they learned about during a podcast. 60% added that given an equal price and quality, they prefer to purchase from companies that advertise on their favorite podcasts uh, with their favorite analysts. So if you're listening to this show as a business owner, that's some powerful data. And if you'd like to reach the male demographic in particular, ladies, we know you know we love you. But the vast majority of our listeners are male. And if you want to reach that demographic, your company should be sponsoring this podcast. Feel free to reach out to us at milehighhuddle at gmail.com and we can talk about it. Now, guys, again, as I mentioned, a couple of, uh, you know, there's a couple trades Broncos did. Got a little bit confusing. We don't need to go too far down that road. But the bottom line is they were able to, and, and John Elway talked about holding his breath through this process, but Michigan tight end Jake Butt fell to them at pick 145. Now, obviously, he's coming off an ACL tear. Uh, but this is a guy, six foot five, two hundred forty-six pounds, somewhere in there, to get really excited about. And Nick, I'll start with you on this. But I can only imagine a healthy Jake Butt, what he can do for an offense like this, serving as a security blanket and athletic playmaker for a guy like Trevor Simeon, or even if it ends up being Paxton Lynch. Yeah, well, I'm a big fan of Jake Butt being a Big Ten guy myself, and I'm kind of interested to see the hopefully the training camp dynamic we have between a higher man, a Ohio state guy and Bud, a Michigan guy, but it's going to, well, but, but is going to be a great tight end option for us. I believe he'll probably start on the, uh, the pup list because he is coming off that injury in the bowl game, which allowed him to well, allow the Broncos to select him in the fifth round. He would have gone probably much higher, probably a second round pick. Uh, if he didn't have that injury, he's some people call him a fantastic blocking tight end. And while he can play in line, and block he's gonna have to continue to work on that get a little bigger and a little better with that because right now he's more of just a competitive guy he's an occupier 
rather than a tight end who's going to control the edge. Um, but I do think he has the potential to get better there. And he's not a dynamic athlete, but he's big, he's very smooth, and he can make some contested catches. So hopefully the second half of the season this year, we can start to implement him in the offense. And I think he's going to be a great player for us for the next five-plus years if everything goes well. Now, Eric, real quick, John Elway, for what it's worth, talked about him being an August or September guy based on his timeline and Denver's current understanding of where he's at in his rehab. Your thoughts on the Jake Butt pick? Um, They definitely have, internally anyways, hope that he will be ready for the start of the season. And if not, then that they hope that they'll be able to get him back and he'll only miss, like, hope that he misses at most two or three weeks. If he has a setback, the pup list is definitely an option for him. I, I, I like Butt. I like him a lot. He's a great player. Uh, he was before the injury. He was sitting as my number two tight end. Uh, I, I love how competitive he is. Nick touched on it that he's not the best blocker, and he isn't. He has a lot of upside there, though. But what stands out is his competitiveness, competitiveness as a blocker. He doesn't give up. He doesn't let guys just walk all over him. He fights and keeps fighting every step of the way. And he does that as a receiver as well. And that's actually what led to his injury was he was trying to fight for more yards. And then they went low and tore his ACL. Mm. Uh, it's great value here in the fifth. I, even with the injury, I had him going in the third. I, I just love it. Not much I can more I can say about it, really. He's just a great pickup that's going to give them a reliable safety net at tight end. He's got good hands. They had some issues with the hands from uh, Jeff Huerman and Virgil Green last year. They've been trying to move Virgil Green for a while. So they definitely are unhappy with their tight end position and want to – get improved there and this is a step in the right direction i think absolutely my the, the question i have when it comes to jake bud is you look at denver's depth chart as you mentioned virgil green jeff hireman uh, aj derby and then henry krieger coble who's still on the roster we can't really assume or project that krieger coble is necessarily going to make this roster unfortunately nick sorry uh, but where who do you guys think will be the odd man out? Assuming, but I mean, he's going to be healthy enough at some point to be on the roster this season. I don't see him carrying four guys, and if if they end up just sticking with three of those top three guys that are already on the roster before Butt was selected, who do you think ends up as the odd man out? Personally, I think you're looking at seeing Virgil Green and um, Hireman being on the outs. They, as I said, just mentioned they've been trying to move Green for a long time. They're unhappy with him. They they don't like that he hasn't taken the next steps as a receiver that he want that they wanted wanted him to when they extended him. And then Hireman has just been an issue of injuries. He can't stay healthy, and um, this is his last chance. It's very similar to um, the offensive lineman Sambrello about this is being his last year. There's normally around at year three. Well, this is year three for them. Health has been a concern that, and it's definitely their last option. And then for Krieger Koble internally, they really like him. They like what he brings as a blocker and they like what he brings as a receiver. And, but he is just a borderline um, making the roster. So he's got to show that he's taken the next steps too to potentially beat out Hireman or force a move on green and Derby. He offers the receiver that they want and they just want to get him, more in tune with what's going on on the office offense and last year he came in and he came in late and that was part and that showed he didn't have the um all the timing down and stuff like that and rhythm but they're excited for what to see what he does this year as well what do you think nick who who might be the odd man out this year out at the tight end group i agree with eric it's probably green hopefully if they do move on from green they can get a draft pick for next year's draft and a higher man uh, the Broncos, again, splashing in at tight ends because they're not happy with what Hireman has done. Uh, Hireman did produce, I guess if you can call it that, at the end of the year last year, and hopefully he can show some at training camp. But if it's any of the tight ends, and Henry Krieger-Koble, you know, just because he's an undrafted guy, yep. they do like him, but he's going to have to show. Otherwise, he could be on the chopping block. I'm actually pretty excited for uh, A.J. Derby a little bit. I think he, because um, he was coming off that ACL the year prior and coming in halfway through the season, he had some good routes. He's a good athlete. He's still raw to the position because he was actually a quarterback before right. going to tight end right. at Arkansas. So he's a decent athlete. Doesn't have the longest arms. You know, he's not a big catch radius guy. He provides some value at tight end and hope 
hopefully Buck can come in there and do that as well. Because if we can get just some production from the middle of the field, that should really help the passing game as a whole and those outside receivers. Well, let's talk about Denver's second fifth-round pick, 172nd overall. Denver took Georgia wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie. Now, this guy, you look at his measurables, he's relatively diminutive. In fact, reminds me, he's a couple inches taller, but reminds me a little bit just looking at his measurables of former kick returner and, and kind of receiver Trendon Holiday. But this guy's five foot seven. He's about 173 pounds. He ran a 4.42 at the combine. Eric, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on Isaiah McKenzie, where he fits in, what he brings to the table, and just overall the value in the pick. Well, I mentioned earlier you're going to hear explosive a lot, and here we go again. He's explosive. Uh, somebody sent me the highlight tape of him, and I watched it, and explosive, explosive, explosive. It just shows over and over and over again when watching him. Granted, they are highlights, but still, you can see that explosive explosiveness there. There, He offers a return another returner, another special teams player, you know, mentioned before that that's what they wanted, too. This was a guy who I found out after they picked him, I thought he was kind of a reach, that he was going high on the board, and he would have gone – um, 173 or 174 so they felt the need to move up they did um, they felt the need to move up and get him and so they did they gave up a seventh round pick got got the guy they wanted hmm. he is a uh, you mentioned his measurables and he is a smaller guy McCoy likes to find these guys and use them Brandon Oliver the running back and who was in San Diego who's now a free agent is a smaller guy and he's gonna find some packages for him on offense and to get him the ball and use that explosiveness, he doesn't offer much as a receiver right away. His route running still a little raw, and so is his understanding of just coverages and all that. But brings excitement to the offense and that explosiveness that they really, really need. I don't know if you guys caught this on his NFL.com you know, draft profile, but Nick, according to them, this guy scored every seven times he touched the ball. Yeah, he's definitely explosive when he touches the ball. He just wasn't really much of a uh, high-volume guy. So those stats can be a little misleading, but when he does touch it, it's exciting. I I was a little bit confused with the pick after already taking Henderson. I would assume that they no. probably see Henderson more as not taking punts and kicks in that regard. They want to use him more on the offense. Sorry, did you say something, Eric? I forgot we took two Hendersons. Oh, so yeah. I was, yeah. Thinking, I was thinking D'Angelo, my bad. We'll no. get to him next. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I was kind of confused with the uh, – after taking Carlos Henderson, you know, I had a good returner there and uh, Langley who can return and trading up for a guy who probably – I mean, if he can contribute as a wide receiver, I will be happy with the pick. And that doesn't have to be your one. But right now I see him mainly as just a returner and even – he needs to be explosive to justify the selection. But I'm excited and his he's definitely uh, – straight line speed as well as working tight in a corner. I mean, if he, if he can juke a guy and you know, get him within uh, outside of arm's distance, he can take it to the house. Not the strongest guy right now and has very little idea of route running concepts, adding another special teamer and adding somebody who can flip the field because we have struggled on that in the last couple seasons. Well, and John Elway, the, you know, let's hope this time around the Broncos have a little bit more success with the Georgia wide receiver. And I believe it was also a few years back, of course, uh, but I think it was also a fifth-round pick when they took Tavares King. Am I, if, am I recalling that right, fellas? Uh, yes, you sixth are. Sixth round, yeah. yeah. Sixth round, yeah. Oh, sixth round, my bad. So exciting, another explosive playmaker. The Broncos talked all offseason about adding juice, and they came through. And speaking of juice, I know, guys, Eric in particular, this is a guy you were really stoked on. If I recall right, in our uh, our seven-round mock draft, we ended up missing out on taking D'Angelo Henderson, but the Broncos in real life did not. In the sixth round with the 203rd pick, they took Coastal Carolina running back D'Angelo Henderson. Now, he's five foot seven. he's 208 pounds, uh, runs a 4.4840. I reached out and talked to uh, the athletic director there at Coastal Carolina. This kid goes by the, the, the nickname Hop, so... It'll be interesting to see how he fits in, but with that draft day trade sending Capri Bibbs to San Francisco, the Broncos really needed to be able to bolster that running back depth and also to add something a little bit different. Again, going back to the word juice that's been played out now 
I'm, I'm honestly sick of saying it, but to go back to that line, that word, D'Angelo Henderson, by all appearances, seems to be that guy, Nick. Yeah, man, you're going to let me speak before Eric on this. You know, you should have, I guess, you know, it's going to be the fireworks with him because he loves him so much. Well, I'm just trying to be fair because last one I yeah. served up to Eric and now I'm serving the first one up to Nick. Oh, no, that's very fair. Just this is definitely Eric's dude. I'm, I'm excited about him, too. He uh, going over at mockdraftable.com, his uh, player profile in terms of his uh, athletic tests and his size compared to uh, Freeman of the Falcons. And another player he compared to was Duke Johnson of the hmm. Cleveland Browns. So an exciting player, uh, not the biggest. He's a little smaller guy, but he's still over 200 pounds. So he does have a sturdy enough body, a stout enough frame to handle a decent amount of, uh, a decent amount of touches in a game. And I think he's great in space. Once he gets to the line, if he presses the line properly and picks the hole, he can be a problem. He's got a tough mentality. You know, he's not afraid to lower the shoulder. He's going to have to clean up on his fumbles. He had a very high fumble rate during his time at Coastal Carolina. But one of my favorite later round running backs, and I think he's probably going to push Booker for a decent role there uh, for touches. Eric, how satisfied were you, bro? I know, of course, you, you've you spent a lot of time studying this guy. He got thrown to you uh, as a name to check out by some of your contacts in the business, but this is a guy you took the time to break down in an individual Finding Broncos scouting report. And for those of you listening, that's worth a read. Take some time, go to milehighhuddle.com and search out in the news section, search out D'Angelo Henderson, Finding Broncos, and, and you can read all about it. But you had to have been just psyched that this guy fell to the Broncos and that they were on the same page as you, my friend. Oh, definitely. Before I get into that, though, just want to share this quick little story. I actually had a guy reach out to me who's a fan of the Giants, and he wanted all my Finding Broncos scouting reports for the guys that the Giants took. And so I passed it along. As Chad said, I know I'm the writer, but they're definitely worth a read. Anyways, as for Henderson, he reminds me very very much of Maurice Jones-Drew. Nick mentioned that he thinks he's going to push Booker. I think he's going to push for a starting spot. He brings so much juice and explosiveness, and he's tough between the tackles. He's quick outside of them. He's everything packaged into one. And, yeah, you can even line him out out in the slot. You can line him out wide, and you can let him use his elusiveness and his uh, quickness to try and get open and stuff like that. You can use him in many different ways. And I'm on record as saying that I would much rather have D'Angelo Henderson in the fifth or sixth round over Christian McCaffrey in the first. I, I go on and on and on. I was so happy about it. I texted after they picked McKenzie. I texted one of my guys in Denver said, so you're going to draft D'Angelo Henderson, right? As a joke, (laughs) got no response, no response, no response, no response. And then I see that on the board and I was jumping for joy. I scared my dogs. (laughs) I I was, I was so happy about it. This kid, he's going to be, he's going to be good. I want to say he'll be great, but I'll I'll take a step back. Yeah. There might be some bias there, but I think he's, he's going to be good. He's going to be good for Denver. He's going to be good in this offense. I mentioned earlier, McCoy likes these smaller guys. He's a little bit smaller. He's going to be able to um, be used in so many different ways. He offers return value. He offers other value on special teams. He can be a gunner. He's not afraid to hit, even though with his size. It, I, I can go on and on and on about him, and I really do think that he comes in and competes with C.J. Anderson, who rumors have, rumors have been swirling that they are, have been trying to move him. And I think that he comes in and competes right away for a number one spot. And at the very least, he's number two and beats out Booker. The Broncos definitely added some offensive juice. And with their final pick, well, the final pick of the draft in all uh, reality, Mr. Irrelevant himself, shout out to the underdogs, Chad Kelly, quarterback, Ole Miss. Now, this is a guy I don't know if either of you have had the, the pleasure of watching Last Chance You on Netflix He's not actually in this show. He's talked about quite a bit because the guys that are there uh, that the show follows are trying to basically compete for the the role that he vacated, winning a national championship at the JUCO level for Eastern Mississippi Community College after washing out at Clemson, getting bounced off the the squad. He's six foot two. He's two hundred fifteen pounds. He ended up uh, Ole Miss targeted him. 
brought him in for two years. That first season of his at Ole Miss was magical. I mean, the guy can play football. He's I just I've watched uh, I've followed him a little bit over the last couple of years since the pick. I've taken some time, gone back, watched a couple of his cut ups uh, against Alabama in 2015 against LSU and Auburn, which I'll note and. You know, he's the first quarterback. Well, he beat those three schools as the as the quarterback of Ole Miss all in the same year, which was the first time that ever happened for Ole Miss to beat Alabama, Auburn, and LSU. However, the downside to this kid is all of his off-the-field and character concerns, which are many. He's obviously the nephew of Hall of Fame quarterback, fellow class of 1983 quarterback, Jim Kelly. Now, guys, as a, as a what-the-hell kind of pick, you know, like a what the heck, let's just do it. Mr. Irrelevant, number 253. I'm actually very intrigued by the pick, but Eric, I'll start with you. Tell us what your thoughts are on Chad Kelly, the quarterback, and what you thought overall about the pick. It, it isn't a bad pick. With what he offers on a, the football field, he's got a good arm. He's competitive. He's a leader. It, it, it's all in his head. It is my That's my issues. It's, everything in his head. I, I fear that he's going to come in and he's going to cause friction in the quarterback room with Lynch, who is a very fun and down to earth guy. And Simeon who's very quiet and reserved. And here he comes in as this very, very big ego guy that personalities don't match. They don't mix well. I, I just fear a clash there and that could do more harm than good. But I immediately asked not yeah, I immediately asked after the draft. Took me a while to get an answer back. They definitely they talk they've talked to him already. They they've made it very clear he is on thin ice. He's got to watch what he says to the press. He's got to watch what he says on Twitter. He's got to watch how he acts around the um, team because this is a team full of veterans that won't put up with it. But he he offer does offer a lot as a quarterback um, in terms of his with his arm. But again, it's just the it's just the head stuff and, and it's a concern. Nick, if this guy wasn't a little bit of a, a knucklehead, let's let's pretend and imagine for a moment. <clears throat> let's imagine for a moment that this guy uh, didn't have none of those problems existed. Where do you think he would have gone in the draft this year? Even considering the fact that he's coming off a, an ACL tear and a lateral meniscus tear. Well, I think his tape. He is somewhat inconsistent with his accuracy. Can be a little bit erratic. Uh, sometime lazy with his foot, uh, his footsteps. He can, you know, not move his feet and get a little lazy back there. But he is uh, probably a third round, fourth round talent uh, in my eyes. Maybe even higher. Uh, he does have a very solid arm, and he can put juice on it when need be. Um, can make those bucket throws, those uh, back shoulder fades, and made Treadwell and Evan Ingram. You know, those guys first round picks. Kelly was the one delivering those balls in catchable places. So that was. That was a lot of fun watching him. Good I went point. back and watched like three or four of his games this year. And uh, the arm is strong. He shows some decent anticipation. He's going to have to work on that a little more. And one thing I like about him, too, is the kid can scoot when need to be. I know Ole Miss plays uh, pistol and uh, that spread offense. You know, he's not taking many snaps under center. But they used a lot of moving pockets and used him on read options. And he's a threat. He's a decent athlete. Mm-hmm. So... He has a little bit of that X factor to him, too. You know, you used to see Johnny Manziel run to one sideline to the next, you know, make some plays. That, right. You know, sometimes it can hurt you. But he can shake guys off and then deliver some uh, some of those broken plays down the field. So, yep. to probably uh, compete right away because he's coming off that injury. But if he can, you know, provide some upside and some depth at the quarterback possession, uh, position for that selection, I'm, I'm very intrigued. He does have to keep his... Uh, knows out of trouble, but if he does that, he could be a great pick. Now, I don't know how much of what I'm about to quote here was hyperbole, how much of it is, in fact, truth. But listen, for our listeners, check out what Vance Joseph said in Denver's post-draft press conference about Chad Kelly. He said, quote, He was my favorite quarterback in the draft. He beat Alabama twice. That's tough to do as a college quarterback. He's a tough guy. He's smart. He makes some childish mistakes in the past, but he's learned from those things, so I'm comfortable with him, closed quote. Now, 
John Elway followed up on that, mentioning that he, they also consider him to be with his knee and also coming off a of, he's got a thumb and a wrist that uh, he's dealing with as well. They consider him to be another August-September guy. Now, Eric, I know you heard rumblings that he might just be a rookie IR stash and see what happens next year, but if this guy manages to compete at all in August and under the preseason lights, how realistic of a chance do you think this kid has, I'll start with you, Eric, in making the roster? Oh, no, that's a, that's actually a very interesting question because you never know what's going to happen with his health. He can suffer a setback or he can be ahead of schedule. You, you just don't know. If he is healthy, I can see him competing for a spot. And then it comes down to do they take three quarterbacks or do they take two? Yeah, do they take three or do they take two? And that's going to play a factor into him, how they build the roster. There's so many variables that go into it. Once he gets healthy, though, I'm going to be intrigued to see the battle between him and one of their undrafted free agents for that third spot. And if the if they want to keep that third quarterback on the roster and there's no clear winner between Kelly and this undrafted free agent, then I could see them putting him on injury reserve and then the other quarterback on the roster. And that way next year they have the battle all over again. Right. And, Nick, I'll just add real quick, I mean – Trevor Simeon was coming off a torn ACL as a rookie, and he performed so well under the preseason lights that they decided to not risk waving him and trying to stash him on the practice squad. They carried him on the 53-man roster, the roster that went on to win the Super Bowl. Your thoughts on Chad Kelly's, if he can play under the preseason lights in August, his chances of making this roster? Well, I think if he can play and he can, again, stay out of trouble, he can definitely stay on the roster. But the question is how far along he is on that rehab. I'm guessing he's somebody that we won't see. I don't know exactly what his training schedule is, how soon he's going to be on the field coming back from that injury. But he's got the arm talent and the physical ability to be, I mean, he, he if everything goes well, he could be a starting quarterback in this league, honestly, because he is that talented. Yeah, but, I agree. Yeah, like watching his tape, I've watched three or four of his games from this year, you know, the post-Laquan Treadwell tape. Watching him against Georgia, watching him against Auburn, I mean, he makes NFL throws on the sideline that, you know, I honestly don't even see from Trevor Simeon. Hmm. I have a knucklehead, and he's coming off that injury. So if he can stay clean, he's got a chance. Very interesting, and I'll just add this, that the Broncos really intrigued the fans by making this pick. Um there's the top two stories on Mile High Huddle on Sunday, the day after the draft, were both Chad Kelly's stories. So it's very uh, intriguing. You know, a lot of it, the ball's in his court in terms of not stepping in it, so to speak. And uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. Now, guys, we're running out of time here, so I just want to run through. The Broncos have already signed a, a grip of college free agents, fellas who did not hear their name called, unfortunately, on draft day, but have signed – with the Broncos, and of course, you've got guys like Chris Harris Jr., who was one of these undrafted free agents, C.J. Anderson, undrafted free agent, both of whom not only won a Super Bowl with the Broncos, but also made it to the Pro Bowl. Now, let me run through this list of names for our our listeners' benefit, and then I just want to get your guys' take on what jumps out to you, players to monitor moving forward, etc. And we'll start with, I might butcher some of these names, but I'll do my best. The Broncos signed Eric Ostell, offensive lineman out of Charleston Southern. They signed Josh Banderas, linebacker out of Nebraska. Dante Barnett, safety from Kansas State. Jamal Jamal Carter, safety from Miami. Uh, uh, Hurricanes, Ken Ekenem, defensive end, Virginia Tech, Gerald Garcia-Williams, linebacker from Hawaii, Dion Hollins, linebacker, UCLA, Cameron Hunt, tackle, offensive tackle, Oregon, Tyreek Jarrett, nose tackle, Pittsburgh, Anthony Nash, receiver out of Duke, Marcus Rios, corner out of UCLA, Kyle Sloter, Quarterback, Northern Colorado. I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly. Shakir Soto, defensive line, Pittsburgh. Orion Stewart, defensive back, Baylor. And then last so far, and this will continue to grow, I'm sure, DeMonte Thomas, safety out of Michigan. Uh, Nick, I'll start with you on this. Any of these names jump out to you that Broncos fans should be excited about? Well, they're undrafted free agents, so I don't know how excited the general fan base would be, but there are some guys to monitor. Um, the main two uh, for me are Jamal Carter, the safety from Miami, and Tyreek Jarrett, the nose tackle from Pittsburgh. Carter doesn't, you know, watching him, he's not somebody who has great field awareness, 
but I think he's got a chance to make the team as a special teams contributor, uh, maybe challenge Will Parks. Will Parks should be, you know, a decent bit ahead of him. But if Carter splashes in preseason and training camp, he's got a chance. And uh, Tariq Jarrett, somebody the Broncos brought in to Denver to visit, uh, six foot three, three hundred and forty pound nose tackle. So he's going to challenge the uh, the other Pecco, not the one that we brought in um, for Kyle. that. Kyle, Pecco, yeah, Kyle right? Pecco. Okay. Yep. Uh, for the uh, for some interior defensive line snaps, and uh, yeah, hopefully a few more of these names will uh, shine out to me as I watch tape from uh, go back when after preseason games. For me, it's Eric Gustell. I have a finding Broncos for um, on him done. Uh, I, I had concerns with how he fits in this as an undrafted free agent. It's a good pickup. If they can unlock his hips and get him to use power, then he can fit on this line. Um, Ken Ekenem, the defensive end out of Virginia Tech, I thought very well should have been drafted. He's another one of these pass rushers that Denver picks up that should have been drafted. Shaquille Barrett mm. um, and then uh, Dora last year. Right. Uh, these are These are guys that – I think he'll come in and compete and he'll probably he'll push for a spot on the roster. I really believe that Dion Hollins, he's more of a rusher, a pass rusher than an actual linebacker, but they they're trying to work with him and figure out how he fits best. Um, Cameron Hunt, he's another guy. Um, if they can unlock some of his hips a little bit and his bend and his arms, he can com- he can compete for the practice squad bottom of the depth chart. Nick mentioned Jarrett They've been big fans of him for a while. They considered drafting him in the seventh round and probably would have if they didn't trade away two of their three seventh round picks. Anthony Nash, big, tall um, receiver, six foot five, but only 200 pounds, so he's a little bit thin. And then um, Kyle Slaughter is the um, quarterback out of Northern Colorado. Is that how and it's pronounced as Slaughter? I'm just curious. I'm actually not sure. That's how some. That's how somebody that um, said it to me over the phone. So okay. all right. Go on. Sorry, didn't um, mean to throw you off your game there. Those kind of things, I'm kind of a pet peeve guy on pronunciation. So go on. Uh, how I found out about him is a funny story. I won't share it here, but I, I went <laughs> in and me- I immediately. Uh, I immediately watched him um, after he got pointed my way, and I, I really think that between him and Chad Kelly, I can see him winning the battle over Chad Kelly. Only thing that's keeping him back is he played at Northern Colorado. Um, Northern Co- Northern Colorado. But he's got a high ceiling. He's got a pretty good ceiling. Not not going to be a starter. And I, I actually disagree with Nick when he was talking about Chad Kelly being a starter. But anyways, with him, uh, he's going to be a backup, and I think he can be a top end backup. And uh, I, I just like what he brings. Um, a couple of these other of these guys, I haven't watched a lot of. I caught some quick stuff on him last night. I don't, I don't know. I'm just excited for the group as in general. I yeah. undrafted free agents. They're the underdogs. These are the guys that I gravit, um, lean towards, sure. and uh, they, they, they make me excited. I was excited last year. I was excited the year before, the year before that, so on and so forth. But well, I the, just like the, to... the, Not to cut you off, but the Broncos have a great tradition of mining value out of the undrafted ranks. I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head how many years it was in a row, but I'm thinking something like seven or eight that an undrafted rookie free agent made the roster out of training camp that streak was only broken very, very recently. So it is a time-honored tradition. The Broncos have – John Elway, as a, as a GM and front office czar, has really made some noise. He's really made and built a roster off of finding guys like these, you know, the least of which are even your Capri Bibbs of the world, you know, that he was able to parlay into – yeah, he gave up a fifth-round pick this year, but he was able to get a fourth-rounder out of him last year, and it was no skin off his teeth. He was an undrafted guy that the Broncos picked up. So – it really is something as it relates to the Broncos, and we know it's important to every team, but there's always a special place in our heart for these guys, knowing that names like Harris and Anderson came out of this group. For sure, and I thought it was like 10 or more years that they had this streak going, but I don't remember. And it was it only broken well for been. it was only broken for a year, and then they turned around and had another one make the roster. Um, they're one of the best teams Echo. at finding talent. Yeah, they're one of the best teams at finding talent in this and that, that's one reason why I get so excited is just how much they are. Sometimes I wish that they would pick up a few more guys that I think should have been drafted, but I, I don't have any say, obviously, unfortunately. Well, hey, before we get out of here, uh, just a couple quick questions from our listeners. It's been a while since we took a peek inside the Mile High mailbag, 
And what better time to do it than the day after the draft? But I want I want this to be rapid fire because we really are running out of time. But first off, guys, um, Mike Middleton at third eye underscore well third underscore i eighty four on Twitter asks with the draft in the books, which vets are on the roster bubble now who may not have been previously? And I'll start with you, Eric. Anybody based on how this draft shaped up that you feel like might be now on the roster bubble? We've talked about a couple of them, but go ahead. Um, Cody Latimer comes first to mind. I got wind that they were trying to trade him to move up to select McKenzie. But before that, I didn't know that they were trying to select McKenzie. Um, I just was told that they were trying to use him to, as a package to move up. Virgil Green, we mentioned him. Hireman, we mentioned him. Jawan Thompson, I think he's kind of a guy who's on the um, roster bubble. Lorenzo Doss, he's, I don't think he's really at risk. But if it all depends on how Langley and Nixon do, Nixon's more at risk. Um, Dylan Day, I can see one of these guys pushing him. Michael Schofield, he's another one who comes to mind. Th- there's a few names that stand out, but I think for the most part, their roster is pretty entrenched. They're you know, they're only looking for competition at like the last 10 to 15 spots. Your thoughts, Nick? Anyone in particular for Mike that uh, might be on the bubble now? Well, yeah, like we talked about the tight ends and whatnot, but I could see uh, I don't see a spot on this team for Cleef Raymond after drafting mm, McKenzie and both Henderson. So yep. he's probably SOL, unfortunately, for his career. Well, hopefully he'll find somewhere else to land on. I actually I forgot about him, too. Well, hey, you know what? He he had an opportunity with the Broncos, and even though he was young and inexperienced and undrafted, they did give him a pretty solid opportunity, and he just wasn't able to make enough hay while the sun was shining. Now moving on real quick, Dylan West, at West on Twitter asks, Big topic, and this is kind of a big picture question, but he says, big topic, but now with the team uh, mostly set, our guess at where the Broncos are going to end up at the end of the season. And I'll just throw in my own personal take on this real quick, and then we'll we'll start off uh, with Nick. I see the Broncos as 10-6 and six at best this year. It all depends on the quarterback clarity, what happens there. I think the sooner the Broncos rip off the Band-Aid and roll out Paxton Lynch, the better off they'll be down the stretch. But I say somewhere nine and seven, ten and six. Nick, it's way too early, but your prediction. Yeah, um, I'm going to give a little larger air bars there. But if everything goes well, I see the team probably about ten and six. And if every if the wheels fall off, the offense, you know, doesn't produce, and you know, we have some key injuries. I see six and ten. That's the everything goes wrong compared to everything going well. Maybe they could get a eleven and five. The defense is great. Yeah. Uh, situations clear and the offense improves but the main thing for me this year is uh, establishing an offensive identity and figuring out who that quarterback's going to be if we can figure out those two things when we're talking at this point next year it have been a successful season in my eyes eric your thoughts for me it all depends on who's that quarterback i think personally if they, they have a higher ceiling with Pax and Lynch. I think it is better to get him out there. If he doesn't pan out, then you have the you have Trevor Simeon you can fall back on. If he does pan out, he takes this offense even more, um, even higher than Simeon can. Mm-hmm. Um, if Simeon starts the whole season, uh, I can see them going eight and eight, nine and seven. If Pax and Lynch starts and he pans out, I can see them going. 11 and 5, maybe pushing 12 and 4. The defense will keep them competitive, and Mike McCoy's offense fits him a lot better in shotgun, all that jazz. Yep. Um, but then you have the risk of key injuries. It, it, it's really it's too hard to tell. I'm gonna I'm gonna say 10 and 6 just on to be on the safe yeah. side. Well, and Dylan, for in, in fairness to Dylan, he he knows it's uh, it's a way too early question, but it is interesting to answer and think about that topic. Uh, once the draft is dust has settled, so to speak. And then lastly, friend of the show, David Cromelo at DCrom59, asks, if Simeon starts the season in week one, is Paxton Lynch a bust? Eric, your answer for David. He <laughs> um, actually asked me this a couple weeks ago, and I answered it there. And my, my answer hasn't changed, David. It's the same thing. I don't think if Simeon starts week one, Paxton Lynch is a bust. I don't think so at all. They kind of, they knew coming in that he could be very well be a two- or three-year project. It was a risk they were willing to take anyways. Um, they're doing everything they can to make Paxton Lynch succeed. They're really building an offense that fits his needs. 
and there's a lot more focus being put into working with him than Trevor Simeon. Of course, Trevor Simeon has that more experience than Lynch does, so they don't need to work with him as much. But everything's going around um, with around Paxton Lynch. If he doesn't start, I think it's just because he's just not quite there yet, and I think he'll start at some point in the season and take over as full-time starter as long as his play is good enough. Nick, if Simeon ends up winning the starting job out of the gates, is Paxton Lynch a bust in your mind? No, I wouldn't say so. We knew when we drafted him, he was probably a one or two year away guy. You know, a lot of tools, big guy, big arm, but raw mechanically and mentally. Uh, I will say, though, it will start to uh, creep that way. It pushes that pendulum that way because, you know, you spend a first round pick on that guy and you don't have a huge investment in Trevor Simeon. So, yeah. I think the Broncos are going to give. Paxton Lynch, every chance he can to win it this year. But I'm not counting out Trevor Simeon either because I think, I mean, he proved us, he proved a lot of people wrong last year, and that'd be silly to do so. So they'll probably have another quarterback competition and may the best guy win. I wouldn't say he really proved a lot of people wrong. I'd say he just (laughs) kind of exceeded expectations a little bit. Don't forget 21 dropped interceptions here with first Trevor Simeon last year. I mean, he got, he was pretty, don't don't get me wrong, exceeded expectations. But still, I wouldn't yeah. say he proved anybody wrong. Just saying. I think he proved people wrong being a seventh-round pick, starting games. I mean, is he a great quarterback? I'm not going to say that. I'm not a Trevor Simeon apologist in any way. But playing on that hurt shoulder and uh, you know leading this team to some wins when I mean I was distraught thinking it was probably Mark Sanchez for the year, and right. then he provides you know adequate quarterback play. I see maybe like a a lower level maybe Brian Hoyer type is what I see when I watch Trevor Simeon, but. You know, I'm not going to count him out because stranger things have happened. But sure. I, I think I think Lynch is probably the direction the team will go. They brought in McCoy to pan around an offense, but I'm not counting anybody out, and I'm going to use preseason film to make my choice. And I'll say this too, and I like I like Nick's uh, verbiage on this that you know if if Simeon wins the job, does that mean Paxton Lynch is a bust? Absolutely not. But it does kick the pendulum that way a little bit farther down the road. And it's certainly not what the Broncos want. If the Broncos have it their way, and as Eric has said, as Nick has said, they're going to give him every opportunity to succeed this year. And by all accounts thus far, he has come back to uh, the Broncos in year two a different person. Uh, Much more confident, much more in kind of a leadership mentality. So everyone is, I shouldn't say everyone, I don't like using absolutes, but a lot of people are already counting Paxton Lynch out saying that you know the, the mental difference between Simeon and Lynch is so uh, vast, the gap is so large, that he'll never be able to beat out Trevor Simeon, and I disagree with that. I think Trevor Simeon's going to be in for a very tough battle this year because, and I've been saying this since the day he was drafted, the sooner Paxton Lynch acclimates to life as a pro and everything that comes with that, and the mental, the thinking aspect slows down for him. That's when you're going to see his immense physical gifts rise to the surface. And when that happens, it will utterly dwarf Trevor Simeon. So, hey, great show, guys. I think that's going to do it for today. We ran a little bit long. Thanks for sticking with us. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUp underscore MHH. Just take a second, get that done. You can find Eric on Twitter, at Eric Trickle, Nick, at Nick Kendall, E-L-L, Nick Kendall, E-L-L-M-H-H, and myself, at Chad and Jensen. We love hearing from you, so hit us up, and don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Eric, for Nick, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle. Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. There are so many fun personalities in the sports betting and fantasy football industry, but being right has to matter at some point. And whether it's 55% plus, always free, always documented picks over the last three years, or it's individualized fantasy football attention, search Fantasy Sharps Weekly and at Johnny L Football on Twitter to become a winner 
this football season. That's Johnny L. Football.